Jean Calment, on her 120th birthday, was asked to describe her vision for the future. Very brief, she said. (laughs) Another woman was asked the benefits of living to the age of 102. After a pause, she answered, no peer pressure. John Fetterman, rector of Grace Episcopal Church in Madison, Wisconsin, told of an elderly woman who had died. Having never married in her preparations for a funeral, she requested no male pallbearers. In her instructions for her memorial service, she wrote, they wouldn't take me out while I was alive. I don't want them to take me out when I'm dead. Those are some pretty sharp ladies. (laughs) And they remind us that we ought to do everything we can with all that we have for as long as we live. Nobody knows how long that is. Maybe it's 120, maybe it's 102. (laughs) But do everything you can with all that you have for as long as you live. Solomon tells us. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, verily do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or wisdom in Sheol, the grave, where you are going. There are no do-overs after we die. We have now to live. And once we die, there's no more planning, no more activity, no more wisdom, no more work. Solomon calls us to live life to the fullest today. Because once life is over, those opportunities are lost forever. The problem is that we tend to muddle along thinking that we have all the time in the world, don't we? One writer put it this way, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. Life is uncertain. We never know how long we have left. So Solomon tells us in this passage, trust the sovereignty of God in the uncertainty of life. Verse 10, which we just read, summarizes his theme that he's been developing in verses 1 through 9. And in verses 1 through 3, we are taught to trust the sovereignty of God in the uncertainty of life. Verse 1, Ecclesiastes 9. For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. 
It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Solomon says that he examined life, and he found that wise men and their activities are in the hand of God. God's hand controls our lives. God's hand controls the circumstances in this world. All of life is in God's hands. He is a sovereign God. We don't know what tomorrow holds for us. Nobody in this room does. We don't know whether we will receive love or hate tomorrow. Now, it's a metaphor that he's using here for good results or bad results. None of us know whether tomorrow we will be successful in business or face a loss in the market. None of us know whether tomorrow our health will be good or we will get sick. We don't know whether tomorrow will be good or bad for us, is his point. We face both possibilities from the hand of God. He goes on in verse 2 to tell us that it is the same for all mankind. The same event happens to the righteous person that happens to the wicked person. To the good and to the evil. To the unclean and the clean. To him who sacrifices in the temple and to him who doesn't sacrifice or refuses to sacrifice. Both good people and sinners experience the same events in life. Those who swear an oath and those who do not both experience the same events in life. Good people and bad people experience prosperity and adversity. You can't predict one or the other. A righteous Job, who was wealthy and successful, lost everything by the hand of God. Evil King Ahab, who was horrible, was rich and successful for most of his life. Righteous Mordecai, was persecuted and threatened. Evil Haman was powerful and rich. We simply do not know what tomorrow might bring. And the same events take place for those who are good and those who are evil. Our lives are in the hand of God. He is a sovereign God. Now, ultimately in verse 3... He goes on to the ultimate event for every life, and that is death. Death comes to all who live. And that, he says, causes humans to despair. I mean, if death is coming for everyone, whether you're good or whether you're evil, then you might as well do evil, many people say, since they're going to die anyway. All of this is emptiness. It is all futility. 
when looked at that way. The truth is we are simply very, very bad at predicting the future, which is, of course, why we should trust in God's sovereignty. But how many of you can tell what is going to happen next week in your lives? You can't. We're terrible at predicting things. A couple of illustrations. A recent article in the Futurist magazine catalogs some of the worst predictions of all time. It would appear we have reached the limits of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. Computer scientist John von Neumann wrote in 1949. <laughs> the Japanese don't want it, don't make anything the people in the United States would want. Secretary of State John Foster Dulles in 1954. What do we buy that doesn't come from Japan, right? Nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality within 10 years. Alex Lute, president of the Lute Vacuum Cleaner Company, quoted in the New York Times in 1955. You, uh, ladies, you, you, have you used a vacuum-powered, a nuclear-powered vacuum cleaner? By the turn of the century, we'll live in a paperless society. Roger Smith, chairman of General Motors, 1986. Wow, I think we have more paper going around than ever before. We're even worse at identifying legitimate and illegitimate fears. Newsweek magazine in May of last year made a comparison of things we fear in our world. The list illustrates how badly we misplace our worries and fears. Children abducted by strangers, 115. Children who drown in swimming pools, 288. Burglaries, 2.2 million. Identity thefts, 8.3 million. Shark attacks, 28. Dog bites, 4.5 million. Americans killed in terrorist attacks worldwide in 2008, 33. Americans who die from seasonal flu, 36,171. Fatalities in airline accidents, 321. Fatalities in car crashes, 34,017. If we were to pay attention to these facts, the most dangerous activities are own swimming pools and dogs and drive to Boston. <laughs> and the safest activities are traveling by airplane to foreign countries. <laughs> the simple fact of the matter is we have no clue what tomorrow holds, and we are very bad at what we ought to be afraid of, <laughs> at what we ought to do. The safest place you can be always is where? In the hand of God. Isn't that what Solomon just said? The wise and the righteous. No, they're in the hand of God, wherever they are and whatever they're doing. That's the best we can do. That is the safest place. The sovereignty of God is where we place our faith in the uncertainty of life. God is in control. Whatever you face this week, God is in control. When we face our midlife crises and we begin to realize how little control we have over what happens to us and how little we have accomplished in life and how little time we have left to do it, the best we can do is to trust God. We're in his hands. After all, our lives are in his hands. 
And he always does what is good for us. Is that not true? What did Paul write in Romans 8.28? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God always does what's best for us. And we are in his hands. We can trust him. All right, second principle this morning. Our uh, live with hope despite the reality of death. Verse 4. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. So, if you are living, there is hope. Dead people cannot hope any longer. Therefore, it is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Now, obviously, that's a proverbial saying from the ancient Near East. You have to understand that in the Middle East, a dog was a despised animal. I'm sorry, all you dog lovers. (laughs) But they thought of dogs as totally despicable animals. They were unclean animals. They were not worth anything. The animal that was noble and powerful and venerated in the ancient world was the lion. This was the noble animal, not the dog. And so he says, it is, look, it is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. In other words, it's better to be dishonored and disrespected but alive than to be the most noble, honored, and powerful of humans but dead. It is better to be alive and dishonored than honored but dead. Why? Because as long as we are alive, we have hope, he says. The living know that they will die. The dead don't know anything anymore. The dead have no more reward, and the memory of the dead fades away with time, he says. Now, our tendency when we read passages like this is to read the New Testament back into the Old Testament and to come at this from a heavenly perspective. And you will notice that his whole point here is life under the sun. Solomon is simply thinking of reward in earthly terms here. He's not thinking of heavenly reward. In fact, the word translated reward refers to wages or earnings. The living have opportunity to earn more wages and reap more benefits in this world, under the sun, in this life. But the dead have no such opportunity. Those opportunities are gone. Solomon's not talking about heaven or hell and eternal rewards. He is talking about lost opportunities here and now in this world. Once we die, we have no more opportunity to do anything or to reap any rewards in this life. As verse 6 goes on to state, the dead have no more chance to share in anything that happens under the sun. In other words, the dead never have an opportunity to share in life on this earth any longer. When a person is dead, the opportunities for enjoying this life are gone. That's it. 
Buckwheat Donahue, a resident of Skagway, Alaska, planned a journey from Key West, Florida to Nome, Alaska, starting in October of 2005. Donahue walked 5,000 miles, paddled 2,000 miles across North America, and he did it to raise funds for building a medical clinic in Skagway, Alaska. He had suffered a congestive heart failure in 2003. And if he had been in Skagway, the absence of a medical clinic would have rendered his survival questionable at best. In addition to raising money, Buckwheat Donahue used the journey as a way to raise awareness about heart disease and, uh, and, and diabetes, which he suffered from. He was influenced by Jack London's words, The proper function of a man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Sounds rather Ecclesiastes-like. God didn't leave us here simply to prolong our days. He intended us to use our time to the fullest. For it is brief, and we don't know how long we have. According to verse 6, once we die, our love, our hate, our envy all die with us. Our emotions are gone. We can no longer feel love and hate. Donahue says, I want to use my time and I'd just like to share it with other people. Those relational emotions that we have are gone. The friendships, the relationships we experience here can no longer be experienced here. Now, again, I understand theologically that in heaven we experience emotions and we have wonderful relationships in heaven forevermore. But Solomon isn't addressing heaven here. He's addressing life on earth. He's talking about here and now. And here and now, we should seek to share our lives with those we love to the fullest extent. Because there is coming a day when that will no longer be possible and nobody knows when that will be. So live it fully now. Share your love. Share your relationships. Share your friendships. Share your... All of, the, all of the emotions that we experience in human relationships. The anger, even. The, the frustrations that we experience. It's all we have on earth to do that. We don't know the future. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow, but we do know God, and we can seek to live fully devoted to him and and the relationships that he gives us here on this earth for as long as God gives us to live. We all know we're going to die, everyone in this room, barring the return of the Lord, once again, the truths of the New Testament, but barring that, everyone in this room will die, and we should make the most of the time we have now. And that's what it means to live with hope despite the reality of death for every one of us. In his book, Thoughts in Solitude, Thomas Merton wrote 15 lines that have become known as the Merton Prayer. Here they are. 
My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Third principle, enjoy life on earth as an act of faith in God. Verse 7, go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. After three failed attempts, British adventurer David Hempelman Adams finally broke the world record for altitude achieved in a hot air balloon in January of 2007. The old record was 31,299 feet. That was set in 1979. The new record, 32,500 feet, is slightly higher than the cruising range of commercial airlines. Templeman Adams couldn't uh, be too excited about his accomplishment for very long because in the sub-zero temperatures his equipment froze at 32,500 feet. The balloon's burner snuffed out and all but 5% of his fuel was gone. Descending at a harrowing 1,500 feet per minute, he landed with what he called a major bump. (laughs) I guess so. An airline pilot who had flown beneath him commented on the feat only a mad Englishman would do that in an open basket. (laughs) Sounds crazy to me. (laughs) I have no interest in sitting in a little basket at 32,000 feet. How about you? But then, some might consider us as Christians crazy too despite the circumstances we find ourselves in. What does James tell us in the New Testament? Count it all joy when you face the hard things of life, when you suffer. Well, that's nuts. That's crazy. Why would you count it all joy when you're going through suffering? Seems kind of crazy to this world when we look around at the mess that our world is in and the horrible things that happen to people, we could be discouraged and lose all of our joy in life. When we struggle with work and pain and loss, we could become discouraged and have no hope. It takes a hard-headed faith to enjoy life, no matter what happens. It takes an expectant hope to find happiness in this life, 
no matter what is going on around you. Enjoying life is actually an act of faith in God. Do you believe that? Count it all joy, he says. It's a command, by the way. (laughs) So the preacher tells us, look, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Now, this is not hedonism. Hedonism is seeking pleasure for pleasure's sake. That's not biblical. This is faith. It is seeking pleasure for God's sake. And that's a whole different thing. We enjoy life most when we enjoy God the most. That's what he's teaching us. When we enjoy God's gifts, we experience God's approval, he says. In verse 7, that when we enjoy life, God has approved our works. Now, once again, this is not approval in the New Testament, justification by faith, salvation sense of God's approval. All right? We have to understand what is being said here in the light of the theme of Ecclesiastes. Over and over again, Solomon has made this point clear in the book. And, when, and if you read Ecclesiastes and miss it, then you've missed his point. Possessing God's gifts and the, even the ability to enjoy God's gifts is itself a gift from an approving God. God is our Father. And when a Father gives us gifts, we bring Him happiness. We bring Him happiness when we enjoy the gifts He gives to us. That's Solomon's point in Ecclesiastes. Let's just take a minute and rehearse that theme because you can draw back to uh, chapter 2, for example, and verse 24. Ecclesiastes 2, 24. He says, There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? See, he's the one who gives even the ability to enjoy it. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. And that is vanity and striving after wind. Chapter 3, verse 12. I know, Solomon says, that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. Chapter 5, verse 18. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward, his wages. There's that word again. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Did you get the point? (laughs) We bring God pleasure when we take pleasure in what God gives to us. When we start comparing and saying, yeah, well, you gave me this, but you gave that person that, and now I'm frustrated and envious, then we're not taking pleasure in what God gives to us. 
and we're not bringing him pleasure either. So it takes a hard-headed faith to enjoy the life that God gives to you and the circumstances where you find yourself. Not that those circumstances are good, but you can take joy in whatever God gives to you. For you take joy in God. And that is an act of faith. And some might even consider us crazy for doing it. An anonymous medieval poet penned these lines. Man, fear God and be merry and give not for this world a cherry. Good philosophy of life. Fear God and be merry and don't give for this world a cherry. It's the sentiment expressed by Eric Liddell, who won England glory in the 1924 Olympic Games, then went on to serve the Lord as a missionary in China for many, many years. And the movie is is a fabulous movie, Chariots of Fire, one of my favorite movies of all time. And he told his sister what God had called him, that God had called him to serve the Lord, but he also said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel his pleasure. What do you do that you feel God's pleasure? When you enjoy the simple pleasures of life that God gives to you, that's when you should feel God's smile on your life, in the relationships that you have. Solomon goes on to say, enjoy life with the woman you love all the days of your vain life. Vain here probably means fleeting. (laughs) All the days of your very brief and fleeting life, enjoy it with the woman you love. It comes to an end all too soon. So enjoy life with your wife or your husband before it's too late and you can no longer do that. You never know how long you have. That is a hugely practical concept that we ought to wrap our minds around every day of our lives. Because all too often we spend our time wishing for the husband or wife we don't have instead of enjoying the one we have. We fight, we argue, we can easily throw away the chance to enjoy life with the husband or wife we love. One fine day in 1941, Violet Bailey and her fiancé Samuel Booth were strolling through the English countryside. Deeply in love, they were engaged to be married. A diamond engagement ring sparkled on Violet's finger, her most treasured possession. Their romantic bliss suddenly ended, however. One of them said something that hurt the other. An argument ensued. It escalated, as these things often do. And at its worst point, Violet became so angry, she pulled the diamond engagement ring from her finger, drew back her arm, and hurled the treasured possession with all her might out into the field. The ring sailed through the air, 
fell to the ground, nestled in the grass in a way that was impossible to see. Violet and Samuel made up. The argument was over. It didn't last. Then they went looking for the lost ring, but they never found it. They were married two months later, however. They had a child, eventually grandson. Part of their family lore was, that the, sto- was the story of this lost, and, this lost engagement ring. Violet and Samuel grew old together. And in 1993, Samuel died. Fifteen years later, fifteen more years passed, but the ring was not forgotten. One day, Violet's grandson got an idea. He bought, he bought a uh, metal detector and he went to the field and he began searching with his metal detector. And after two hours of searching, he found the diamond ring. Filled with joy and pride, he brought it to his grandmother. He placed the diamond ring into her hands. The treasured possession had finally come home. You know, that's a wonderful illustration of how easily we can throw away that which we treasure in life. Anger, frustration, words spoken that lead to fights and arguments. Oftentimes, truthfully, we can't even remember later what they're all about, can we? And yet the results can be very bitter and very long-lasting. Solomon says, look, enjoy life with the woman or the husband you love. Don't let that stuff get in the way. You say, well, Dave, you don't know my husband or wife. You don't have to live with him or her. You're right, and I thank God I don't have to live with her or him. But you can thank God you don't have to live with me. You see, we can choose to be happy in the marriage God gives us, or we can choose to throw it away. God says it is best to enjoy life with the woman or man you love, because soon you will not have that opportunity any longer. This is your reward. This is your wages. This is the good stuff in this life. So don't be quick to throw it away. Do everything you can with all that you have for as long as you live. That's what he concludes with in verse 10. Because in the grave, you have no more opportunity to do any of it. Yesterday, I got an email from David King former pastor at Hollis Center Baptist Church out here. Uh, Pastor King is in the Ukraine right now with his wife Joan teaching young men to be pastors. And we get together for breakfast every couple of months and share material for teaching other pastors and talk over the ministry and that kind of thing. Pastor King, Pastor David King, is 71 years old now. 
and he travels to the Ukraine three or four times a year to teach. He wrote me yesterday in his email about the ministry there. I'm a prayer partner with him. And, and then he said that at 71 years of age, he's thinking of going back to school just because he wants to learn more about biblical counseling. And he's excited about it. And then he says at the end, and then he says near the end of the email, Hello? Crazy? No. Here is a man who keeps on enjoying the life God gives him with the woman he loves and the ministry that he has. Hey, folks, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Wouldn't that be great? Do all that you can with all that you have for as long as you live. CNN told the story of Harmon Parker, a master mason who has found a unique calling in building bridges, literal bridges in Kenya. One of the men who helps him is David Kakuko, whose parents drowned in a flash flood years ago because there wasn't a safe way to cross the river. Before the bridge, there were so many people, so many who lost their lives, remembers Kakuko. I know this because I have no parents. I have no parents because this river took them. Motivated by his desire to love and serve his Savior, Jesus Christ, Harmon Parker, who became one of CNN's heroes for doing this, Harmon Parker came to Kenya and he proceeded to build bridges. He's built 45 different bridges now. They are simply designed with an average length of 120 feet and average cost of about 6,000. These are footbridges. He uses basic local materials. He always engages the people from the community to work and to help contribute. According to CNN, Harmon Parker said, I have built many bridges in, a, in very remote areas for the few and the needy that a larger organization may not consider. Knowing this bridge will probably save at least one life is what makes me tick. I build bridges because I want to save lives, lives that I will never know about. He established an organization called Bridging the Gap Africa to do his work. He's paid a high price himself in experiencing long periods away from his own family, being robbed at gunpoint and contracting several serious illnesses. Yet he says, quote, I feel I am blessed. Don't you hear this a lot from those who are serving the Lord? I feel that I am blessed privilege to do what I'm doing. A bridge is a beautiful metaphor for many things. There are bridges of hope, bridges of peace, bridges of life. To me, bridges are beautiful. What bridges are we building in our lives and in our world? Father, teach us to rejoice in those things that you call us into those relationships that you give us, those jobs, those careers. Teach us to enjoy you in all of that and to live with joy no matter what we experience. For all we have is now. We never know how much longer we have. Help us to live this day to the fullest for you. In Jesus' name, amen.